Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing China's role and strategy in the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The Shanghai Cooperation Organization, or SCO, was founded in June 2001 by six countries, China, Russia, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Uzbekistan. Since then, membership has expanded to include Pakistan and India. There's also four observers and six dialogue partners. For China, the SCO provides a means to shape regional norms, to get experience playing a leadership role, and to influence the policies of member states. This past June, the heads of state of the SCO gathered in Qingdao to mark the group's 18th anniversary. As the SEO expands its areas of cooperation and gains new members, we believe it's important to better understand the nature of this organization, the issues that it addresses, and China's ambitions for this intergovernmental organization. So to discuss the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and China's role and objectives, I'm joined by Dr. Alexander Cooley, director of the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. He's written extensively on Eurasian and Central Asian politics. Thanks for joining us today, Alex. Oh, it's my pleasure to be with you. So to start with, can you give our listeners a brief overview of what the Shanghai Cooperation Organization is? What, what were its origins and for what purpose was it created? Yeah, sure thing. So it's important to understand that the group actually started in the 1990s and was itself a legacy of an old Sino-Soviet uh, border a dispute and the legacy of trying to normalize and work out formally delimiate that Sino-Soviet border. When the Soviet Union collapsed, um, that part of the border uh, was now the responsibility of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. And so they, along with Russia, um, joined this new format called the Shanghai Five, um, along with China. Now, the official story is that the talks went so well and that the border was delimited that all the countries involved uh, wanted to keep up this momentum and address new sources of security concerns. And on June 2001, as you mentioned in your introduction, those five, along with Uzbekistan, which does not share a border with China, but which is the biggest and some argue the most influential country in Central Asia, um, inaugurated the formal international organization, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Um, the membership was expanded formally last year in 2017 um, to include Pakistan uh, and India, thereby also expanding the scope of the organization beyond uh, just the boundaries of post-Soviet Central Asia um, into Southern Asia as well. So what were the issues that were addressed in the early years of this organization? What did they care about? So uh, the main issues uh, concern security and what will be familiar to your listeners, uh, the mostly Chinese-driven security agenda of combating the three evils. And the three evils are terrorism, extremism, and separatism. 
Um, back in its early years, China reached this um, strategic understanding with then Russia um, to combat individual separatist actions on each other's territory. So China would support Russia's actions in Chechnya at the time, and Russia would support China's uh, actions in Xinjiang and its territorial integrity. Post 9-11, there was also concern that uh, certain uh, movements in Xinjiang might have affiliations to al-Qaeda global networks. And so part of the agenda was extending security cooperation to include the internal security services of the Central Asian states um, in combating uh, transnational terror networks um, that were aiding um, extremism throughout the whole region. Um, an accompanying institutional development was in 2002 in St. Petersburg, this was agreed to and then it was implemented in 2004, was to set up what's known as the regional anti-terror structure, um, which is now based in Tashkent, the capital of Uzbekistan. But this brings together representatives of the ministries of interior and security services of all of the countries um, in joint cooperative efforts, and these include uh, creating common watch lists of um, three evil types of organizations, um, strategizing as to uh, how to uh, monitor and survey uh, the area, um, and also um, hashing out a new uh, counterterrorism or anti-terrorism treaty uh, which was finalized in 2009, which empowers the security services of member countries to conduct investigations um, in cooperation with other member countries. So are China's goals as this organization has evolved, going back to, as you said, the original Shanghai Five in the mid-90s, have China's goals converged with the other members? Or there have been, or have there been differences between the members on what the SCO should seek to focus its energies on? There has been some convergence, but also some important differences. Um, holistically speaking, China views Central Asia and the importance of stabilizing Central Asia as a security issue first and foremost, but also with important economic, political, and cultural components. So, in their view, the SCO should address regional cooperation from a number um, of different um, issue vantage points, right? It should include economic cooperation, cultural cooperation, rules-based cooperation. So from early on, China has also wanted to use the SEO as somewhat of a multilateral economic organization and problem solver. Now, for Russia, um, they too welcome the creation of an international organization that's not beholden to the West and that's not controlled by the West. In other words, the so-called Shanghai spirit that talks about the democratization of international relations, um, recognizing the sovereignty and cultural diversity of its members in contrast to the universality of Western liberal norms, all of that has been music to Russia's ears. However, uh, Russia has been concerned with the multilateral economic agenda that China has proposed and tried to push, whether it's the push to create a free trade zone with the SEO, 
or in 2008 in the wake of the financial crisis to use the SEO to provide emergency uh, relief stabilization funds and development assistance. Russia has blocked these efforts. And it um, has argued that the organization shouldn't play a multilateral economic role because there are other vehicles to do so. And Russia is most concerned about preserving its own regional organizations, such as Eurasian Economic Union, that it controls. So the two haven't met eye to eye on the economic agenda. Um, however, Russia has also proposed uh, uh, some uh, recognitions and some things on the security agenda that have made Beijing uncomfortable. And that has to do with Russia's uh, quite overt revisionist agenda. Um, so these have included after the Georgia War in 2008, asking the SCO to recognize the independence of the Georgian breakaway territories of Abkhazia and South Ossetia. China was very much opposed to, opposed to this and supported the Central Asian states in resisting Moscow's uh, pressure to do this at the summit in Dushanbe in September 2008. China also has been extremely reluctant to recognize the annexation of Crimea and also uh, there are no SEO uh, statements that support Russia's intervention in Syria. There are some statements that support the Astana peace process. So in these areas where Russia has unilaterally sought to revise global rules on security and recognitions, uh, China has been hesitant. It doesn't want the organization to be viewed as revolutionary or upending the international order um, uh, at the same time, it very much appreciates Russia's strategic cooperation um, in serving to grow the kind of you know non-Western um, uh, international um, regional order. Um, but I think those two areas are the ones where you've seen most differences. Now there are other areas where they converge. So um, every two years, there's a so-called peace mission, which you see military exercises that are primarily uh, uh, feature uh, Russian and Chinese uh, troops and military equipment. Um, you also see some other political uh, roles played by the organization that both Beijing and Moscow support. For example, the SEO sends election monitors um, to the national elections uh, of its uh, member states. And you know, their assessments of the quality of elections tend to be a lot more supportive than, say, the OSCE's election monitors. And you also have things like an SEO educational exchange system, mutual recognition of each other's university degrees. And you also have um, some um, state-sponsored youth movement organizations and get-togethers. So um, they both readily participate uh, in those. So it's a mix of convergence, um, but also um, some disagreements, which are actually rarely aired out in public. These remain very much um, uh, below the radar. So if we fast forward to today, this past June, and the recent meeting in Qingdao, what were the major things that were discussed at that meeting? What are, what are the issues that are being uh, focused on, and what is the state of play right now between Russia and China and the other members? So I think the main, uh, the main focus was to get an SEO statement in support of China's Belt and Road Initiative. And so since 2012, which was the last time 
um, a summit had been held in China. Back then it was in Beijing. Um, the BRI has been rolled out as China's grand um, um, you know, development vision, and, and some would argue um, you know, strategic vision in the world. And, and you know, getting uh, buy-in um, publicly from the various countries you know, is an important affirmation of China's regional role. However, it wasn't entirely successful in that India refused to add its backing, and thus confirming what I think were Beijing's fears about potentially admitting India into the organization that it might play spoiler on some of these issues. However, the Indian um, refusal wasn't you know, it wasn't loud. They didn't make a big deal uh, out of it, but it wasn't in the final communique. Um, beyond the BRI, there were announcements about uh, continuing other good neighborly policies, um, um, community building, uh, and so forth. But we didn't get a lot of details of a lot of new initiatives. And I think it points to one of the dilemmas the organization faces. Um, for China, this has always been a vehicle about promoting norms, promoting Chinese leadership cooperation, and building trust in the region, um, which they view as a prerequisite to then engaging in actual problem solving. Um, at the same time, though, um, you know, this is a region that is one of the most trade unfriendly, that actually lacks regional cooperation on a number of issue areas where bureaucratic barriers to international cooperation remain high. And the organization just hasn't been able to crack um, these kinds of national-level um, impediments. So we always have ambitious agendas, uh, but when it comes to the specific details of what's been accomplished, what problems have been addressed uh, and solved, um, the organization uh, actually uh, doesn't have that many uh, successful achievements yet. The Trump administration, of course, in its national security strategy last December, uh, labeled China a revisionist power. And I wonder whether you think the SCO has the potential to be the kind of mechanism that China could use to rewrite the rules, to set new norms, um, or is that overstating it? I think that's a great question. So far, um, part of the disagreements that we've seen with Russia have been over how revisionist the SEO should be. Um, Russia has had no problem trying to push the SEO to be, you know, the leading revisionist global organization on a number of issues, you know, to issue statements that condemn U.S.-led interventions, um, phenomena like the Arab Spring uprisings or the color revolutions um, in Eurasia. China joins in some of these, but it is also hesitant to be tagged with that revisionist label. It has been uh, hard at work at trying to secure international recognition and partnerships with the SEO, in part because it's sensitive to the concerns that somehow the SEO is a um, a rogue revisionist organization uh, that might become marginalized. Um, so it's uh, worked very diligently to not only engage in dialogue with the UN or with the EU about potential engagement um, with um, American counterparts, um, but it's also tried to adopt certain criteria 
um, to signal that it is a serious organization that takes international norms um, 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 quite uh, quite seriously. So, uh, for instance, when the question of Iranian admission was on the table, uh, China realized, while Russia supported this in the late 2000s, China also realized that this might send a very provocative signal to the West and the rest of the international community if they embraced Iranian membership. So uh, China pushed the idea of some sort of membership conditionality for SEO aspirant members, and one of the criteria should be that countries being considered for membership shouldn't be under UN sanctions. Now, they adopted that rule pretty much with Iran in mind. You know, so far, I think China wants to use this as a vehicle to project its own uh, interests. It wants to certainly transform the rules of the international order, but I don't want, think it wants to use it as a, as a hammer to smash the international order, um, not to the same extent that Moscow um, does anyway. So you talked about this debate about Iran joining. We have not yet seen uh, Iran become a member. There's also apparently some discussion about Afghanistan joining. And it's always challenged with any organization. It gets too big. It gets unwieldy. What are the challenges that would be faced if other countries join the organization? What's the likelihood that it will expand further? Well, this is a dilemma always with group size and effectiveness, right? The, the bigger the group size, um, you know, the organization's legitimacy and international scope is enhanced, but it usually comes at the expense of decision-making and efficiency of decision-making. And the norm of consensus in the SEO makes this a particularly important issue because all of the proclamations, the official communiques, the stances are consensus-based. Introducing more and more countries creates more of a coordination problem, um, especially for Beijing. Uh, I do think something interesting has happened, though, in the last five years in terms of the diversification of what can think of the ecology of China's world ordering institutions. In other words, back in the two, 2001, the SCO was really Beijing's sort of primary foray into the world of international organizations and global governance. It's, it's, its version of international cooperation. Now we have uh, many other initiatives. Um, we talked about the Belt and Road, but uh, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, um, the BRICS, um, and the New Development Bank. So there are a number of initiatives in which China has taken the lead. So in that sense, the pressure to get it all right regarding the SEO might be off. And some um, scholars believe that China's agreeing to let in India and Pakistan uh, was in some ways an admission that the organization was not going to have the robust economic agenda that it had been pushing for, but that's okay because China would pursue economic cooperation on a bilateral basis and vis-a-vis -vis these other regional organizations. Now, as far as specifically increasing the membership to Afghanistan, 
This is tricky because the organization has issued a number of proclamations that have criticized Western involvement in Afghanistan, Western strategy, um, refusing to negotiate with the Taliban previously, for example. Um, and it has offered the idea of a kind of a Shanghai form, very much like the Heart of Asia form, that would include um, Afghanistan's neighbors. However, there are still differences, say, between Russia and China over what extent they should be involved in Afghanistan. And there are debates and tensions within both countries on how assertive a role they should play. Um, so SEO membership is not going to mitigate um, these ongoing uh, concerns that you have within both countries over what to do um, with Afghanistan. Um, Iran is also another wild card. Um, it seemed as if relations were normalized, um, and, but now as we're looking at the, at the U.S. pulling out of the Iran deal and readopting sanctions, um, um, it's not at all clear um, whether China will be as uh, open to Iranian membership as perhaps it was um, two years ago. Um, but I do think, you know, with, with each country that's added comes an additional layer of political complications. And, you know, just coping, I think, with the Pakistan-India uh, <laughs> expansion uh, seems to be difficult enough uh, without having to add other full members. How is the SCO viewed outside the immediate region uh, in which it lives. So how is it seen by the United States, uh, the European Union, uh, for example, or by Japan? I remember years ago uh, that there was some discussion in the U.S. government, I think it was in the George W. Bush administration, about consideration of becoming an observer um, at the SCO. But that, that never materialized. Uh, so do non-member uh, countries view the organization as a potential partner for collaboration, or is the SCO viewed as a potential threat to the international order? It's a great question, and the answer is that it actually splits opinion within the very countries that you discuss. So you know, well, let's take the U.S., for example. So one of uh, you know the episodes that triggered real alarm bells initially in U.S. policy circles was the 2005 declaration at the SEO summit in Astana that U.S. military bases in Central Asia have served their purpose and should be put on a timetable for removal. And um, U.S. Uh, defense establishment, Don Rumsfeld, sort of weighed in and sort of said that it was this was a case of uh, you know the big big countries bullying the small ones. And after this declaration, uh, Uzbekistan actually did evict the U.S. from its military base um, in southern Uzbekistan. Now we know in retrospect that it was, in fact, the Uzbeks who went um, to uh, the Russians uh, and asked them if they could declare that, include this in the communique. And you know, they included it, and China went along with it. But but that gave the signal that somehow this was maybe anti-Western, perhaps even anti-NATO um, in its nature. But then, um, as Afghanistan became more and more of an issue, and how do we multilateralize Afghanistan, opinion began to change. And um, um, in the late years of the Bush administration, early years of the Obama administration, there was some thought as to whether 
this could become a vehicle for supporting regional cooperation and public goods provision in Afghanistan and its surrounding uh, neighbors. Now, the problem lies in the U.S. side um, in the way that the State Department is divided on what exactly the SEO can do. So, um, you know, the East Asia division always thought about the SEO's role as a potential economic one. Um, the uh, uh, South and Central Asia division, once it was constituted, saw this as a way of contributing to Afghanistan stabilization. The Eurasia division was actually uh, uh, supportive of it because it, it provided another vector for the Central Asian states away from Russia. But then the Bureau of Multilateral Affairs was uh, tended to be quite critical and skeptical because they did not appreciate the type of norms um, that they thought engaging with the SEO uh, would signal our acquiescence to, uh, and especially uh, norms regarding its anti-terrorism agenda, who's an extremist, who's a separatist, um, and so forth. So SEO policy, or its determination, really got bogged down um, between the different agendas in the State Department. Something similar on a lower level happened in the EU. The EU liked the idea of the SCO playing a role in doing things like delineating borders, encouraging regional cooperation, potentially transit corridors in the region, um, and infrastructure building. All those things the EU could support. What the EU could not support is a very loose definition back then of separatism. Um, and also they were displeased that the SEO was giving Ahmadinejad back then, um, even as an observer, a platform um, to go off on anti-Western rants. Um, but there were debates within the EU that the EU should ditch its normative criteria uh, and engage with the SEO as soon as possible and not become too hung up on the idea that everyone has to preserve European values uh, and norms. Now, as it turns out, I think the SEO wasn't in a position to deliver the kind of regional cooperation and public goods provision that I think both EU and U.S. advocates thought that it could. Um, but I think this points to the need to have a much more holistic SEO engagement strategy. Rather than pick and choose what we think the SEO is, I think it would be far healthier if we identified areas in which there could be coordination and collaboration and other areas where um, both the EU and U.S. could express disagreements or concerns um, with SEO practices. Among the SEO members, there are now four nuclear states, China, Russia, India, and, and Pakistan. Does this present any opportunity for global nuclear security um, cooperation? Is there some role that China could, could play to really strengthen cooperation in nuclear security? Or do you think that's an issue that's just off the agenda? Uh, my sense is that that issue is going to be off the agenda unless we reach a much deeper level of trust and actual security cooperation, um, especially for Russia, but also um, I would uh, strongly imagine for India and Pakistan, too. These are extremely sensitive issues of national security and national sovereignty. 
And on these types of issues, we've seen very little progress made in any kind of concrete dialogues or, or for um, also, the, you know, that's also the case on energy issues, right? There's been some speculation that somehow the SEO could become an energy club um, that could help um, um, the practices of both suppliers um, and offer sort of, you know, preferential um, um, agreements to consumers. But again, it's just never materialized. So my sense is nuclear cooperation is a bridge too far unless there's demonstrated um, improvement and cooperation, um, in which case this might be something for the future, right? So, you know, one area that I would look for is China has said that SEO membership for India and Pakistan might actually offer um, a platform for them to improve relations, to engage in dialogue, to resolve possibly even some sort of territorial conflicts. Now, that strikes me as very ambitious, um, but if something like that could be accomplished going forward, then perhaps other more sensitive, tricky issues could be tackled. Well, you've already started answering my last question, which is how do you see the SEO evolving? Do you think that it's going to play a more important role in the region beyond? Uh, is it going to strengthen the image of China as a, as a leader and a norm setter? Um, how do you see the, the SEO um, uh, evolving in the future? Well, I certainly think that the SEO is here to stay. And, you know, this, um, the sense that it was just kind of a cheap talk shop um, that, um, you know, it didn't have any, um, you know, sort of concrete agendas. Um, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, these criticisms are, um, are valid anymore. Um, that clearly the organization has evolved, it has issues, it has problems, but so does every other international organization and regional organization there. To me, the question is going to be how much uh, or how effectively will Beijing be able to drive the organization's agenda, especially now post-expansion that we have India um, as part of the group? Uh, and here I think there might be a looming paradox in that as China's neighbors become more cautious about Chinese um, you know, economic and security plans in the region, that the SEO might provide an actual multilateral forum um, to both uh, keep an eye on Chinese plans, but also to provide some sort of check on them. Um, and so I think that's one possible dynamic to observe, whether the expansion of the SEO actually creates the conditions in which a lot of important countries try and figure out mechanisms um, uh, you know, to keep uh, China's plans uh, transparent um, uh, and also in balance with, with other priorities. Um, but uh, in terms of um, the, uh, the organization's focus, I see it uh, expanding beyond just sort of Central Asia. Um, I see real possibilities with being involved um, with uh, um, you know, the South, um, not only India and Pakistan, but also Sri Lanka, 
which is a dialogue uh, observer. Um, also possibility that Armenia might want to join. Um, so the SCO might push even a little um, east, uh, westward, rather, towards the Caucasus. So it will start playing more of a global role um, just because I think it's extended membership and partners uh, um, are uh, outside of the strict Central Asia area um, that they were. But there's no question that the SEO has, quote, unquote, made it um, and that um, all member countries now view it symbolically um, as an important organization that provides status, um, it provides good opportunities um, um, for conversations, dialogue, uh, and I think you know its annual conferences will continue to be a feature of regional relations going forward. A well, fascinating discussion. Thank you for helping us to better understand uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Thanks very much for having me. We've been talking with Dr. Alexander Cooley, director of the Harriman Institute at Columbia University. <music>